0: All right, look at that. Ladies and gentlemen, and one disciple in particular that I want to look at his life as John shares the story of his life, and it's disciple Peter, who's in the audience while Jesus is talking. Now, my semester just ended. I'm a full-time professor. Many of you know that. And I, I, I sort of preach in uh, part-time here. Um, but... I'm itching for some semester in-class experience because we had our graduation. I haven't lectured for like a week and a half now. So I want to do a quick interaction with you, okay? Um, what do we know about Peter? Those of you that have been in and around the Christian tradition, what do we think about when, when Peter comes to mind, what comes to mind? Let's hear some things. Just belt them out. Don't be afraid of, of answer collisions. Those are beautiful things when two people answer at once. What do we think about when we think about Peter? Deny Christ. Christ, outspoken. Okay, so we think... Denied Christ, thrice, outspoken. What else do we think about Peter? Impulsive? He kind of goes for it. That's at the same time. Look at that. Mind meld. Impulsive. He's like, I have an answer, and now I have to take my foot out of my mouth again. Some of us are like that. I, I never do that. I'm so spiritual. What else do we think about Peter? What are some other things? Come to mind. Just anything. The rock, bold, walk on water. I mean, what a range we've already experienced here with this guy. He went everything from denied Jesus to walked on water. Everything from a rock to a dude that, like, needs to delete his Twitter account. You know what I mean? <laughs> what else do we know? Think about Acts real quickly now. Yeah, Acts 2, the Pentecost sermon, the Spirit is here. And he boldly proclaims the gospel. Whoa, I get goosebumps thinking about it. That's, like, right up there with my whole leap You know, excitement, my hyperbole thing. There's Peter boldly proclaiming Acts 10 through 15. Peter is one of the instrumental figures in early Christianity holding together the early church that was falling apart along ethnic lines. There was a potential for the church to split between two ethnicities or between one ethnicity and others. And Peter was there holding lines saying, no, 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 we stay together in Christ. I mean, this is the figure. So when we think about Peter, it's, he's a fascinating character. One of the things that always I delight in being a follower of Jesus and I love about our tradition, there are plenty of things about right, the Christian tradition that might be difficult for me, or sometimes I'm like, oh, man, what do I do with that? But what I, one thing I love is that it, portray, it portrays its figures like so unflinchingly honest. Like you don't get a Peter As if Peter wrote the story of his life. Like, let's leave that one out. Or can we just clean that up a little bit? How about we just say one bad thing and we do an encouragement sandwich about my life, you know? Started good, did some bad things, great stuff. Instead, it just shows this really kind of wacky sometimes, really intense, powerful, and complicated figure of Peter. Flawed, yet like ferociously faithful. How about that alliteration? And so I want to, um, for the balance of our time today, something I've actually never done before, and I was in conversation with Matt Ingle uh, and Janie Calvert, two of the most brilliant creative people that I know, were talking through this message a little bit. And Matt brought this up. He goes, you know, Peter just kind of, he was just kind of hanging out. He was there with the Christians. He was there after the crucifixion. He was still hanging out with the Christians, but with the, the Jesus followers. He was there. And it made me think, like, I want to trace Peter's life in John. I've never done that before. Now, here's what's crazy is we start this off, and you can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. If you're like, I don't want to flip around too much, it's Mother's Day, then you don't have to. You can go to John 6, we'll be there for a minute, I'll kind of really underline something in John 6, and then John 21, I'll underline something as well, and the rest of it will kind of hopscotch through. But one thing that's interesting when you go through John's gospel, guess how many times Peter gets a featured role in John's gospel? Anyone have a guess? I mean, I don't expect you to know this. This is like super extra credit if you get this. Anyone? How many times do you think he shows up? Many times. Many times. I love it. That covers some things. (laughs) Unless it's not that many, then on need to find many. What do you think? Tommy Tommy said seven. Interesting. I asked Matt Ingle at the beach service before it started. We got there early. And I go, Matt, guess what I found out? How many times do you think Peter shows up? Matt goes, seven probably. I go, exactly, because John loves seven. It's like when you watch a Tim Burton movie. You totally know it's a Tim Burton movie or a Steven Spielberg movie. You go, that's a Spielberg movie. So when there's a John telling the story of Jesus, it totally has his directorial flavor to it. He goes, I'm going to tell seven stories. Of Peter. You're going to see Peter show up seven different times. He has seven major signs that Jesus does. Jesus uses those I am statements like seven major times. So He just loves that that sort of number. There's a lot of reasons for that. But seven times. The first one we find out is just John 1. There's nothing real big and impressive here other than the fact that Peter has his brother Andrew. Andrew meets Jesus and says, you have got to meet my brother. He would love you. And he goes and grabs Peter and says, Peter, come meet Jesus. We've been told that he's the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. This is good news. Come meet him. Jesus sees Peter, and it says this in John 1, verse 42. Jesus says to Peter, you are Simon, son of John, yet you will be called Cephas, which is translated Petros, or Peter, the rock, you're like, whoa, I like the sound of that, Peter's thinking to himself. I'm in. And then we don't hear anything specifically about Peter again until chapter six. Now, by this time, Peter's been hanging out with the Jesus crowd. He's been watching Jesus, interacting, he's seen a lot of things. For example, he's seen Jesus turn water into wine. Pretty sweet miracle. A messianic sort of I am God's Messiah sign that he gives. He's seen Jesus do stuff that makes Peter probably uncomfortable. For example, in John 4, he's at a well. Jesus is at a well in Samaria talking to a Samaritan. That's an ethnic problem. That's an ethnic religious problem in that time. And it's not just a Samaritan. It's a Samaritan woman. It's a Samaritan woman of questionable sexual history. She is like the triple threat of shame in the ancient Mediterranean world. And there's Jesus going, I want to talk to you about life. I want to talk to you about a well. You came here thirsty. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's like, that's the, that's the thin outer layer of your thirst. I'm going deep. There is a thirst within you that has been there since the Garden of Eden. There's a thirst to connect with God. There's a thirst for life. And I will offer you water that will fill up into full eternal Life And he offers us. And Peter gets back with the crew and is like, what is he doing talking to her? So Peter has seen this stuff, though we're not given a specific name. Then in John chapter 6, Jesus is still doing some pretty amazing things. He turns like loaves and fish, a little basket full of them, into enough to feed 15,000 people, if you count women and children. A massive miracle sign. So people are hungry now. Remember the thirst? People are hungry, and he feeds them on the surface level, and then he says something else. He says, hey, y'all, this is in John chapter 6. I'll paraphrase the first part and quote directly the second. He says to all of them, hey, your ancestors, because this is a predominantly Jewish peasant audience. He says, your ancestors, they fed on the manna that God provided in the wilderness wanderings. If you've ever seen the prince of Egypt or read the Bible, you may know this. Manna, right, it's this thing God provided. It literally means in Hebrew, what's this? Mahu, what is this? Um, The world's first superfood, I recently heard a pastor say. He says, they ate that manna from God, but they were hungry after. I'm offering you food you're not going to be hungry from. Again, Jesus is pushing through that that initial layer of hunger to the deep hunger and say, I'm going to push right through that and talk about where you're really hungry, whether you feel it or not. And he says this in verse uh, 56 of chapter 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Because he's talking about I am the true bread. I'm really the thing that's going to satisfy in the ultimate, fullest sense of that term. Now, the way some of you, maybe some of your moms brought you here today and you haven't been to church, like, oh, great, what is going on at this place? I need to leave now. Find an exit. It's Talking about cannibalism or something. right? Maybe some of you might be feeling a little weird about it. Well, the audience in chapter 6 felt very weird about it. It says... That And, and um, uh, to quote directly in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They go, this teaching is too hard. I don't understand it. When you made water into wine, that was cool. Love that. When you talk to the Samaritan woman, not so hot on that, but okay, we'll give you a mulligan. And now you're talking about, I'm the bread of life, eat my body, drink my blood. What are you doing? This goes against, in our 21st century church growth mindset, this goes against every principle. It says, no, 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 you don't say things that make people uncomfortable. You make sure it's nice and comfortable. And Jesus is like, no, I'm I'm talking real talk right now. I'm going to say some things, and some people aren't going to like it. And disciples, not just those looking over the fence at it. Jesus, no, disciples of his leave. Now, you could picture, imagine if next week there were only 12 people here. Imagine the sermon, I preach something, and everyone's like, I'm out of here. This is, I'm, forget this, right? That would be a real bummer. It'd probably be because I spit when I talk. But you cleared the front rows, which I asked for, so good. We're good. It doesn't go far, so you're good. Don't worry. But we'd be bummed, right? It'd be a bummer. And here, you're, you're Peter, who's hitched your wagon to this Jesus movement, and you're watching everyone leave. Your bottom line is dropping out. And you're going, okay. And Jesus looks over and look at the quiet confidence of Jesus, the man from Galilee. This is in verse um, 67. He says this. He looks at his disciples and says, you, you want to leave too, do you? Do you want to go? You, you guys want to go too? looks at his-, his 12. And Peter answers him. So here's Peter, his second moment in the spotlight of John's gospel. Here's what Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of Zoe Ionios. You have the words of eternal life. Yeah, that's worth a clap right there, Peter. I love it. So it's this great moment. I mean, I picture it like this in in my imagination as I put myself in Peter's place. He's looking around. He's seen Jesus give hard teachings. He's seen Jesus associate with people socioeconomically that would not help you with your sort of Facebook status and likes. Your PR person would be saying, you know, Jesus, for every peasant you hang out with, you should hang out with a Pharisee or hang out with someone on the upper crust. Instead, Jesus is doing things that are already hard enough. And now he's given an even harder teaching and you're watching everyone leave and you're Peter and you're going, oh man. And he goes, hey, do you want to go to Peter? I can imagine Peter thinking, yeah, Jesus, I would love to go somewhere else. I wish so badly there was another station I could go to where I'd find life and I wouldn't have to put up with all these difficult things. But where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Life, I found life here. I am stuck. It's like the golden handcuffs with the job, right, where you would love to leave the job, but it pays too good. He's like, I can imagine saying, I'd love to go, Jesus, but I found life here and there's nowhere else for me to go. Yeah. Yeah, so here I am. So this is a cool moment in Peter's life, and I think a moment I want to revisit and come back to. And we don't hear about him again until John 13, the passage that started our series, the foot-washing passage, where Jesus is having his now last hours with those who stayed the closest to him, those who stuck with him through thick and thin, in his last hours and he washes their feet. And you remember that whole back and forth? You can listen to Todd's message on it. If you forget, uh, go online and see it there. But um, Peter says, I can't wash my feet. That's not something you should do. That's only something servants do. And Jesus is like, I'm here to serve. And he's like, okay, then wash my whole body. You don't need that, Peter. So it's <laughs> that eagerness. <laughs> and then there's this great moment um, in the middle of that passage. This is John 13, uh, I think it's about 35 or 36. Uh, Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow, but you're going to follow me later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to be right next to you. I want to be within a hair's breadth. I want to be the closest one to you because there's life there. So I want to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus answered, he said, I'll lay down my life for you, Peter says. I'll lay down my life. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Hmm, this is interesting. Let's talk about this for a second. Really, Peter, you will lay down your life for me. Let me tell you, sorry to spoiler alert this one, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows this morning, you're going to deny me three times. you the one who says, I want to be so close to you. You're going to tell what was probably a 12-year-old slave girl, I don't know that man. I don't know him. In Jesus' moment of deepest need for company, for friend, for solidarity, for knowing I'm not alone in this trial, you're going to turn your back on him and say, I don't even know you. And you're going to do it uno, dos, tres. That's one, two, three. <laughs> Jazz teaches Spanish. He can tell you if you have any questions. Just a powerful moment. And then... Peter's still going, I don't get it. And John 18 is the next time we see Peter. And this is the end of our series. Our series will end in John 17. And John 18, now they're in the garden. And and there's a cohort there to arrest Jesus. Peter, who said, I will lay down my life for you, still, I would argue, believes he will. And I think he would on Peter's terms. I'll lay down my life for you, he says. And they come to arrest him. and uh, And Peter's like, all right, Time for some action. Zoom, he pulls out his little travel sword, right? And he takes a swipe at the first person closest to him, and he cuts off an ear. I don't think this was like Peter being like, "On am guard there. I'll take your ear off, and I'll do more if you don't surrender. Now, I think he was trying to cut other things, right? He was trying to do a much more lethal shot. Peter was ready to go the distance. He truly was. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus, but Peter's world, the literature of that time that we can read, the understanding was Messiah's going to be the tip of the spear in God's holy war. And so Peter's still thinking, I don't know when Jesus is going to do it, but something cool is going to happen, and I'm going to be the first one getting my sword bloody in the name of Yahweh. And what happens? He slices off an ear, and, Peter, and Jesus heals that ear. He doesn't bring violence. He brings healing. And at that point, Peter's like, what? I'm so confused. Yet he still doesn't walk away. He doesn't leave. He doesn't say, this isn't what I bargained for, like Judas did. Judas said, I'm done with this. This guy is not who I thought he was. I I quit. Judas Iscariot leaves and betrays Jesus. Peter's still there. The next time we see him, later on in John 18, this is the fifth episode of Peter. There he is outside where jesus is he's not as close as he once wanted to be but he's still like i can't go too far i don't know where i'm supposed to go but i'm just going to kind of follow you ever done that you ever in that place in life where you're like i don't i don't know why i'm walking this way but i just kind of I, I i know there's something here i have to pursue and he's, he's i'm going to stay with jesus and he's in the courtyard and that's where the slave girl asked him aren't you one of his disciples i don't know the man And then later, warming by the fire, some other people go, no, I hear the accent, dude. You're from Galilee. You're with him. I know it. And he's like, I don't know him. Curse me if I do. And at that moment, it says he leaves and weeps, weeps bitterly. And other gospels say that he weeps bitterly. And then the crucifixion with only women around Jesus. There you go, moms. Let's go right back to that. Those of you who are mothers and those of you who are surrogate mothers. Right, You have a prominent place in the Jesus tradition. Never forget that and never be told differently. There they were with Jesus and the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, is, is probably there for a little bit as well. And everyone else is gone. And what happens? Jesus is crucified a slave's death. And we see Peter again in chapter 20. Where is Peter? He didn't hop on a caravan to to Mesopotamia or dart off to Cyprus or, or the Iberian Peninsula and get as far away from this as he can and start over. No, he still can't leave the Jesus community. He's still there. He's stubbornly hanging on Even though in his brain he doesn't know what's going on, he's still there. And that's the fascinating insight that Matt just kind of as an aside mentioned in our conversation. And I go, oh, my gosh, that's right. He's still with them, huddled together. And the women, all of a sudden, Mary comes with this fantastic story that's strange and unexpected that the tomb was empty. No one was in there. And and there's that little race between John and Peter. John gives us, and guess who won that race? Guess who John lets us know won that race? John gets to the tomb first, but then Peter goes in first and sees it. And he comes back and declares, it's empty. It says at the end of John 20, verse 10, but they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead and the disciples went back to where they were staying. So still, it's like, I don't know what's happening. Something's going on, but there's Peter with the Jesus community. He's as close to Jesus as he can be at that point, hanging on, saying, I don't know what's next and I don't know what just happened, but I'm sticking in here. I'm digging in. And there's this beautiful passage. This is the seventh time we see him. This is in John chapter 21, the last chapter of John. And it says um, that Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and a few others, they're hanging out together. And he goes, I'm gonna go fish. So what he does, he's a fisherman, he's fishing. And they see Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus appears on the shore, and they're like, is that Jesus? They have this miraculous catch of fish. It's kind of like a reminder. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. And it says Peter jumps in the boat. Like, it's one of those things where you take a shortcut home, and your wife takes the normal route, and she beats you still. <laughs> but you're just so you gotta get home fast, and you think it's gonna be quick. It's like he jumps in the water and swims. Like that'll get me there quicker. They're cruising in, soaking wet. He just has to get to Jesus. He has to get to Jesus. And there's Jesus, and he says, "Let's have some breakfast." Jesus says, "Let's eat." And they have this breakfast, and there's this moment. John 21 verses. 15 and following, I'm going to read to you. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Remember that commandment, John 15. Remember the only ingredient necessary for true, thriving, pulsating, rich, healthy faith is remain in the love of Christ. And what does Jesus ask him? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? meaning the fish, meaning your old life, meaning whatever. Do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you, Jesus said. And he says, then feed my lambs. Then then let's get back into the, the business of bringing good news, of drawing people to the Lord God through me. And again, he says to Simon, son of John, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, he said. And Jesus responds, then take care of my sheep. Then the third time, uno, dos, tres. Ein, zwei, drei. One, two, three. Alpha, beta, gamma, okay. He says for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt now that Jesus asked him a third time, why do you think he was hurt? Because Jesus was unabashedly going right after the one thing you know Peter is the most ashamed of. The darkest moment in his discipleship of Jesus when he flat out said, I don't even know that man. And Jesus doesn't dance around or play games with it. There's too much at stake. He goes straight into it and goes, Peter, let's not let this hide for another second. Isn't it interesting how shame, how like we are just as human beings, it's one of our primary Modes of operation is to hide our shame and to protect it and to throw some Febreze on it and some potpourri and to do a little papier-mâché design around the edge of it and plant some flowers and say, let's not dig into that shame because it's too dark and you will reject me if you see me for who I am. And Jesus of Nazareth looks in and goes, we're going right there, Peter, right now. And all I have to ask you is, do you love me? And he answers the third time. He says, you know I love you. And Jesus says, all right, great. Then feed my sheep. And at the end of the passage, he says, then come, follow me. It's like Jesus goes straight into it. He says, then we're good. Then you're in the right place, Peter. Then congratulations, Peter. You are a paragon of healthy, thriving, real, deep, authentic faith. Why? Because you remained in my love. And you stayed as close to me as you could. Yeah, and you didn't run. And you didn't give up when you didn't even believe it. You stayed right there. Like, I am such a pastor of the big moment. I don't like things that take a long time. Dial-up modems, remember those? I don't like it. In gardening class, we had to grow this little bean plant. I put water in, and then like five minutes later, it's not working fast enough, more water, and then I'm pumping fertilizer, and everything's fried and drowned within a half hour. I, it needs to go quicker. And, we're, and, and I, I do, I will. this is real self-disclosure. I'll, I'll admit I'm given to big movements of let's believe now and jump and leap and stretch and go. And there's a time and a place for that. But when we're talking about these like, Really delicious organic plants. Have you ever you ever seen a grapevine? Of course you have. I mean, just driving home from here, you're going to see grapevines, right? Maybe some of you are familiar with viticulture and you're familiar with how these things. I'm not. All I know is when I see grapevines, they look dead most of the time. It looks like sticks in a fire hazard, just sitting there. And then eventually eventually, as they're being tended, as they're stubbornly remaining in that healthy soil, they're being watered and cared for by a gardener, all of a sudden one day some green starts to show up. And it's like, okay, now it's time. Nope, leaves. They don't taste good. They're just leaves. And then these little bitty, like, little grape bats start showing up. And it's not until that moment of fullness that took so darn long that you are tasting of the goodness of the vine, the fruit of the vine, and go, wow. I'm the kind of pastor sometimes that's like, hey, it's a monster energy, grape flavored. That's quicker. That's delicious. That stimulates me imid- immediately. Let's go for that because I know it will have an effect immediately. And it's cheap. And, I mean, this stuff, is. It'll, it'll probably kill you. I don't know. Um, it's made of asbestos and sadness, mostly. But it tastes like grape, right? And, and I just think that sometimes I sell, not sell, I'm not making money off it, but I promote sometimes by default or accident a gospel, a good news that looks more like this. This is faith. Do you feel it? Is the hair on the back of your neck standing up? Are you moved tomorrow to sell all of your real estate and move to Papua New Guinea? And again, there's a place for those big moments. The Holy Spirit can tap you from time to time and go, hey, we're doing something big here. Let's go. But my suspicion is more often than not, what if true, healthy, rich, deep faith is a stubborn holding on to the soil, holding on to the love of Jesus? Saying that even though I don't feel it or I don't understand it or my life is a difficult place right now, I'm not moving from this spot. Wow, what if that was faith? So, so as we, as we uh, close off, and I'll invite the band back up, and we're going to be getting some, some cute, cute little chorus in here in a minute. I just want to speak to some of you mothers maybe, maybe you mothers or surrogate mothers who are worried about your kids or you're wondering, like, is all this investment that I've made in my son or daughter or my children that I'm doing, is this, like, where is this going? Or And you're sometimes captured by that. I don't see the immediate fruit. I don't see it right there in front of me. I really want to encourage you with this picture of Peter that Jesus of Nazareth looks to him and says, oh, Peter, you're my man. That's beautiful faith. I love it. And that just might be the greatest act of faith in your life is to stubbornly hold on and remain. Stubbornly hold on and remain. So for those of you in in all these different places and I've been there, and I'm telling you right now, I just finished a long semester of of teaching the Bible and teaching history and preaching in some chapels and preaching at some camps and spoken here a few times. And and at the end of it, you get tired, right? And you feel like, man, I've just been. And, And sometimes I go, I'm just not faith. I don't have enough faith. And looking at Peter's life has been so darn encouraging to me to say, you know what, no. Actually, that might just be what faith looks like. Most of the time is yes. a holding on, yes. yeah, yes. so That's right. with that i 'm gonna pray and we're gonna we're gonna have some worship and remain in his love, Lord, we just right now, God, thank you for the fact that our faith, Lord, is not anchored into an emotional status, it's not anchored into some dramatic feat of balancing that we do it's not the gymnastics of morality or contortions of intellectual sophistication, God, but instead it's a stubborn, beautiful remaining in your love saying, I want to be as close to you, Jesus, whether I get it or not, whether I feel it or not, I'm here and I'm clutching on to you. Thank you that you delight in us, even when we deny you. You delight in us even when we run from you. You delight in us even when we don't get you. And there is fruit that is on its way that will last. Thank you for these children that are going to be singing, God. Bless these children in the name of Jesus. Amen.